0: Good morning. My name is Tim Morrow, and I'm a member here. Today's reading is from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Thanks, Tim. Morning, church. Before we start, let's just take a moment to pray to prepare our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you so much for this beautiful day. Lord, thank you for this beautiful church and Every single person here in this room, thank you for your word and your spirit and your son. Lord, I would just ask today that you calm our minds, that you clear out the noise, Lord, that you would help us focus on the things that are above, not on the things that are of this earth, and that, Lord, that nobody would leave here from this message this morning unchanged to your glory. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I know what some of you are thinking. Guest preacher this morning? Maybe we should have done the live stream. And Danny gave a very kind introduction there, but uh, unfortunately, it's a little worse than you think uh, because I don't do this for a living. I'm actually an engineer, not a pastor. And in fact, this is my first time preaching in the context of a Sunday worship service. So the, the one thing I guarantee you is today you will hear, without question, my best and my worst sermon ever. So congratulations on that. Um, and you know, the thought of all this has actually been a little intimidating And I've really tried, I've really made an effort to keep my mind clear and to focus on the things that are above in this time of preparation. But life kind of has a way of just not exactly doing what we want, right? We can't just say, focus, and everything quiets down. It doesn't quite work like that. And I just, I put a list together of a few things that have happened in, in, to me and in our lives since I've been working on this sermon, and I, I thought I would share them with you. Um, our puppy chewed my computer's power cord. We had siding repairs. We had our house repainted. We had 21 showings of our house for a real estate deal that eventually fell through. I had a colonoscopy along with the fun prep. <laughs> had a teenage daughter get her license. Uh, it's the first day of high school for my son. Our oldest daughter got a new job. We got a new car. I planned a 55th birthday party for my wife. My dad, who's here today, had major back surgery. There have been therapy appointments, a broken muffler, started a new podcast. We have panicked customers at work with demanding deadlines. My business partner is now out with COVID. Uh, we had a, a long overdue memorial for my sister-in-law. We have a new house guest. And we had a suicidal friend. And I'm quite certain that many of you have a similar list running through your heads right now of notable events. This is kind of like the background noise of life. And really, let's all try, let's all do our best to clear our minds for the next 30 minutes or so, and let's focus on the things that are above. Let's turn down that volume and stay focused on God's Word. And we're continuing here, we're continuing this step-by-step walk through the book of Colossians. Last week, Danny walked through the end of chapter 2, where we're reminded that Christians are alive in Christ. And there was a warning last week to stay away from Christless religious systems. That however plausible these systems may seem, however reasonable this human teaching, this worldly wisdom and this Christless spirituality might seem they are of no value. In fact, all of these false religious systems, they serve to both delude us and to dilute our faith. And that was such a necessary warning as we are constantly tempted to drift away, to drift to other forms of salvation, primarily works and legalism but also worldly forms of spirituality. In our passage today, Paul's going to make one main point, that Christians should set their minds on Christ and not on the things of this earth. Again, Christians should set their minds on Christ and not on the things of this earth. That sounds really simple, but no, it isn't. We're still present on this earth, we still deal with all the background noise of our daily lives, which are busy. We don't currently see Christ, and continually setting our minds on him is harder than it sounds. Distractions are everywhere. Many of us, including myself, in some ways are training our brains to expect to be distracted. I found an interesting quote I wanted to share with you. Listen to this. Americans no longer talk to each other. They entertain each other. They do not exchange ideas. They exchange images. They do not argue with propositions. They argue with good looks, celebrities, and commercials. That was Neil Postman who also said People will come to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. Now, those are some interesting quotes and pretty fitting for life here today. However, those quotes from Neil Postman from his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, that book was written in 1985 and Postman was primarily warning about the dangers of cable TV, noting how it had the capacity to rewire our brains, to seek to be distracted, to seek out entertainment over meaningful, critical thinking. And compared to today, 1985 seems like a fairy tale universe. Of course it wasn't, but there was no internet, No smartphone, no Facebook, no YouTube, no TikTok, no Instagram. In 1985, most TV shows were 30 to 60 minutes long. Today, the average YouTube video is 12 minutes long. The average TikTok video is less than 60 seconds. And people move on after just 3 to 10 seconds after watching a video on Instagram feed. We are actively training our brains to expect to be entertained and distracted when we consume too much of this kind of media. And this passage that we're in today, it's here to help us. It's helped uh, us to blow away some of the mental fog that gets created by our busy, distracted lives in our busy, distracted world. This passage is here to help us set our minds on Christ, And what I want you to see from this passage is just three wonderful reminders that can help us stay focused on the things that are above. And you may have heard in real estate the saying, location, location, location. And as we seek to set our minds on Christ, I want you to see three points from today. Christ's current location, our current location, and our final destination. That's location, location, destination. So let's jump into the passage. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And before we talk about Christ's location, I want to take a look at that transition. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. And it has an implied yes attached to it, because Paul is writing to Colossian Christians. It doesn't appear that Paul's ever met them, but he's certainly heard of their faith in Christ. So when Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, what exactly does he mean? What he's talking about here is regeneration, which is sometimes referred to as being born again. And in Colossians 2.12, Paul describes it like this. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. The term born-again Christian means different things to different people, but a born-again Christian is someone who God has worked a miracle in. They have been transformed, realized the weight of their sin, and at the same time been overcome by God's saving grace. And they have placed their full faith in Jesus Christ that his life, death, and resurrection, as foretold in Scripture, have paid the penalty for the sin debt they owe. A born-again Christian knows that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is no fairy tale. The record of Christ's life, death, and resurrection is more thoroughly documented than any other event or any other person in human history. In fact, if you can trust anything from human history at all, You can trust that there was a real Jesus Christ who lived, taught, performed miracles, was put to death on a cross, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. And if you have been raised with Christ, you not only accept this with your mind, but you cling with both arms to this glorious reality. And if you have been raised with Christ, Paul tells us to seek the things that are above And I don't know about you, but at my best moments, I can do that. I can seek the things that are above, especially those moments where I am just overcome with the realization that God has worked a miracle out in my life. Those moments when things are good and I feel how much God loves me, in those moments, I want nothing more than to seek him. At my worst moments, I need help. At my worst moments, I want to call out and say, where are you, God? I can't see you. I can't see Christ or the things that are above at those moments. And at those moments, I'll be helped to be reminded of Christ's current location. Where is he? Verse 1 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Not only was Jesus Christ raised from the dead, but his current location at this very moment is seated at the right hand of God. And all throughout Scripture, God's right hand is shown to emphasize the exercise of God's power. In Exodus 15, we have the Song of Moses, where he praises God for rescuing God's people from slavery. Exodus 15:6 says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And all throughout the Bible, God's right hand is associated with his power. And his right hand is also shown to be a privileged place of honor where only the righteous can sit. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is currently seated at the right hand of God. He's seated in the most privileged position, ruling and reigning over everything. Just let that soak in for a minute. Jesus is overseeing every detail. The events of human history, the details of every one of our lives. He's orchestrating everything for the good of those he loves and for the glory of God. And notice as well that Christ is seated. This isn't the image of a general at war. He isn't pacing around the control room, trying to figure out his next move in the heat of battle. He's seated. He's in control. He's ruling and reigning from the highest seat of power without breaking a sweat. And as it says in the second half of Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And for those of us that have been raised with Christ, seeking the things that are above while we are still here on earth is easier to do when we are reminded of Christ's current location. At this very moment, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But what about us? What about us? Where's our current location? Seems like kind of a silly question. I think some of you are thinking, well, duh, I'm sitting right here in the pew at Redemption Church, perfectly still, listening to this sermon. And I guess, relatively speaking, you're correct. You are sitting still in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, in the, in the pews. But from an external reference point, That's not at all true. Right now, we're spinning around at 1,000 miles per hour. And the Earth is slinging around the sun at about 67,000 miles an hour. And the entire solar system is winging around the Milky Way at about 500,000 miles per hour. So just since I've been talking, we've traveled about 5,000 miles together. And you thought you knew where you were right now. You thought you were just sitting still on a pew in this church. You know, but back to our current location, Tosa is such a great place to live and work and raise a family. But even here in the best of places, there are reminders that we're here on earth. I don't know if you knew this, but the original city seal for Tosa contained a cross. And at one point in time, the city was threatened with legal action by a group of atheists. And the city council voted to remove the cross and replace it with the words, In God We Trust. So even here in Tosa, such a beautiful community, we still have, in this current location, some hostility to the things of God, Which makes it hard for us to follow our king sometimes. So let's read verses two through three. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul is reinforcing our main idea. Once again, he's telling us to set our mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. You know, and setting our minds calls forth images of staying focused or even looking ahead to something that isn't currently here. Setting our minds on things that are above can help us stay focused on our journey. I want you to think about riding a bike. If you're riding a bike, especially on a long road or a long path, if you start to look down at the handlebars and the wheel and the pedals it's going to go bad. You're going to start to wobble. You're probably going to start to veer off course. But if you keep your eyes set firmly ahead, the bike tends to remain stable and you tend to remain on the right path. And during the exodus from Egypt, God's people were speaking out against God and Moses. They were accusing both of them of leading them into the wilderness to die. And I want to pick up that story just a little bit here from Numbers 21, 6 through 9. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And what a great example of God's people setting their mind on the things of God and finding life. Isaiah pulls in similar imagery in Isaiah 52 when speaking of Christ as the suffering servant being high and lifted up. And Jesus kind of pulls this all together when speaking to the Jewish teacher Nicodemus in John chapter 3 where he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Setting our mind on the things that are above is life-giving and even more so for us today, for those of us who see how Christ gave his life for us. But setting our mind on the things that are above is still harder than it sounds, given our current location, which in one sense is here on earth, but spiritually not our current location. Colossians 3.3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul's reminding us of our current location. He says we have died and our life is hidden in Christ. And it reminds me of Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when Paul says we have died, he means we have died to the world, died to our flesh. We Christians have placed our full faith in Christ, and this very real death and spiritual resurrection we have experienced is symbolically captured in our baptism. And not only are we dead to the world, but walking in a newness of life, alive in Christ. And not just alive in Christ, but our location is hidden in him with God. To be hidden in God is a wonderful thing. I can't imagine anything safer. In Exodus 19.4, God asked Moses to remind the people that you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Or in Psalm 91, verse 4, when the psalmist is declaring God as his refuge and fortress, he says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. The pinion's the outermost portion of the bird's wing. It's the part they use to curl around and protect their young. And what wonderful images of God's people being rescued and lifted up by God, covered and protected by giant eagles' wings. This is part of what it means to be hidden with Christ in God. And friends, if this is true, if this is true, what can we possibly fear? What can be possibly more freeing than this reality? Set your minds on this. Set your minds on this when you feel depressed or worried or anxious or you're tempted to take the problems of the world onto your shoulders. Set your minds on your current location, which is dead to the world, And hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on this when you get caught up in the patterns and the passions and the pursuits of this world. So, here's a quick summary so far Christ's location Christ is currently ruling and reigning, seated at the right hand of God. Our location our lives are currently hidden with Christ in God. But where are we going? as we're flying through the universe here at 500 miles a second, where are we going? Where is our final destination? Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is going to return. And in that moment, everything will change. Jesus describes this moment in Matthew 24, verses 30 through 31, where he says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So not only will Christ return in full glory, but somehow, and this is a mind-blowing reality, we will appear with him in glory. How do you even comprehend that? That that's our final destination, to spend an eternity with Christ in our fully glorified state, free from the pain of sin, free from the sting of death, with God himself wiping away every tear. You know, I think we are going to be so overcome with the sight of it all that it won't take but a second to forget about the pain we've experienced in this life. And as we strive to set our minds on the things that are above, cling to the reality of your final destination. Paul says this in Philippians, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. But wait. Hold on one minute. We have a problem. This entire section, everything we've been talking about so far, is conditional. Remember how the passage opens. If then you have been raised with Christ. If then is a conditional statement, and in the context of the original readers, the implied answer is yes, but what about right here, right now? What about our current location? Not everyone in the range of my words would affirm that they have been raised with Christ. What about those of you who say no? If you say no, no, I have not been raised with Christ. I just want to speak directly to you for a moment. Listen to how your current condition is described in the book of Colossians. You are in the domain of darkness. You are alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You have a record of debt to pay for your sin, and the wages of that sin is death. And although you are alive in the world, you are spiritually dead. And please, everyone, understand, I'm bringing this to you straight from Scripture out of love and humility. Every Christian... Every single one of us, myself included, was in this exact same condition until God intervened. I wasn't raised in the church. Frankly, for most of my life, I thought this stuff was a joke. I thought religion was a ruse for chumps to fall for. And I spent 43 years of my life as an unbeliever, a skeptic, a scoffer, fighting God for control of my life. I wanted to do things my way because I knew what I wanted. And not surprisingly, I made a mess out of just about everything. And even my successes were tainted with the feeling of emptiness. And it left me wondering what accomplishment, what possession, what relationship could actually leave me feeling whole and loved and accepted. And all that changed when I heard the gospel in January 2017 at Grace Church. And looking back, I see that God was working to soften my heart and open my eyes for a long time. But at that particular moment, it all made sense. My sin and my rebellion against God was the problem. And the answer, the answer wasn't try harder. The answer wasn't be better The battle had already been fought and the victory already won when Christ died on the cross and rose again. The cross is the greatest demonstration of love ever. God reconciled his perfect justice and boundless mercy on the cross. If you only knew me before I was saved, you would marvel at how God changed my heart. Five years ago, I got an amen from my dad. Five years ago, I couldn't have named five books of the Bible. And here I am preaching God's word to God's people in this beautiful church. I have have died and been born again to a living hope. And I've tried, however imperfectly, to give my life over to Christ. And I marvel at how he has changed me. But don't see me see Christ. And friends, my guess is at some point in time, somebody tried to share the gospel with you. They tried to share the good news that Christ died for your sins. And as articulate or clumsy as they may have been, you said, no thank you. But our current world, and we all know this, it's been wrecked by sin And like a great shipwreck, people are scattered around, they're drowning, they're flailing around, they're trying to save themselves. But look, there is only one lifeboat. And those of us who have made it to safety, we're waving, and sometimes we're acting like fools, but we're just trying to get your attention. We're desperately calling you to the lifeboat of Christ. He is standing there with an outstretched arm, willing to save anyone who repents of their sin and accepts him as Lord and Savior. Today, this morning, are you going to continue to try and save yourself, or will you grab his hand and be saved? And I totally understand this takes faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and believe that he rewards those who seek him. Friends, I just want to thank you so much for your time and your attention this morning. And as you go about the rest of your Sunday, please reflect on how this passage calls us to seek the things that are above and to set our mind on things that are above namely our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And remember that although none of this is easy, we are greatly helped if we remember Christ's location, which is seated at the right hand of God. We would do well to remember our location, which is dead to the world and hidden in Christ. And even more amazingly, remember our final destination, which is to be raised in glory, eternally worshiping God, Rejoicing with Christ in a fully restored and sin-free creation. I just want to close with 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for giving us faith in the sure and secure knowledge that Christ is currently ruling and reigning at your right hand. Thank you, Lord, that my life and the life of all my brothers and sisters in Christ are hidden with Christ and God, and our destination is an eternity in your presence with the breathtaking privilege of appearing alongside Christ in glory. Lord, I pray that for all your children, you bind our wandering hearts to you. And Lord, I pray for all those whose eyes you have not yet opened, I pray you would reveal your truth to them and that your word and your spirit would do the work that only you can do. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.